0: The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com/give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek episode 99.
1: Captain DeBridge. bridge, Spock here. Making self. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk.
0: Found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the, the next generation episode, The Last Outpost. And joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thank you. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Uh, folks, remember to like the secrets of Star Trek on Facebook, where we're at slash Starkwest Media. You can follow us on Twitter at at sqpn, and uh, be sure to leave us comments online. We'd love to hear from you, and we'd love to include them in future episodes. So we're talking about this episode called The Last Outpost, aired from the first season of The Next Generation, and uh, aired in October of 1987. And there's a funny story about this script that I just want to start off with, about how it was created or the process by which it came to screen. Just as the final draft was being finished by writer Herb Wright, he caught Gene Roddenberry's infamous attorney
1: Leonard Maislish. Uh
0: making changes to it for the typist. Like as she's retyping it for, for eventual dissemination to the staff, Mayslish is making changes. They they catch him at it. And when he confronted, he claimed, Oh, Gene and Rick Berman requested the changes, which was impossible because literally no one else had seen it yet. He had like the, the writer, Herbright had just given it to the secretary. So uh, it turns out Mazeless was, was hated by many people on the staff and seen as a constant tamperer into things that were none of his business. He's not a writer, and yet he's changing the script. Oh, boy. It, apparently, he was a fan, I guess. Uh, uh, although, I, uh, So I wonder, did his changes make it into the final airing, or could he have improved this script before it aired? Oh, boy. Well,
2: you, I mean, you, you remember when the Frankie were considered a, a feared race, feared an unknown race? Yes. Yeah, that lasted about five minutes into this episode. Yeah, they were <laughs> right. supposed
1: to be the new Klingons. Right. And Instead, they, they became the new Comic Relief. They yeah. did,
0: which is, it, I think, entirely due to this episode. Uh, one of the producers actually thought this was a great e- Ferengi episode. He thought that the Ferengi turned out awesome in this. I'm not sure his They, they look
2: literally like rats. I mean, just their movements and everything. Or simian. They're very muscular. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Very and
0: weird and creepy. Um, so
2: now, now there was one Ferengi in here that might look familiar.
0: Which one? The Armin, Armin Shimmerman,
2: was- also known as Quark. So, which one did Armin Shimmerman play? He was one was of it the, one he it was on the surface, or the he one was of- like yeah, the second. The he was like the second command. He was well, he was like the second in command.
0: Oh, I forgot I didn't, to write
2: down his name.
0: Did not even recognize. They must have changed the. Uh, Makeup in the interim.
2: Oh yeah, I mean he he looks different. I mean you you can tell it's him. And you can tell by his voice and everything. But he uh he he definitely looks different. He's got a different. It, it's not Quark. I mean it's a different name, right? LeTech. Yeah. Yeah. The only only reason why I realized he was in there is because he's actually credited in the the you know the opening you know after the opening credits you know guest stars they show as after the opening credits.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at a at a still from the from the episode now, and I'm thinking, yeah, that actually does. Look like Armin Shimerman a bit. I can see the rec- the, yeah. the uh, resemblance, and you can hear it in
2: his voice. You can, de- I mean, you, you, yeah. you can recognize his voice definitely. My yeah.
1: understanding is he was glad to get the role of Quark later because it he was he felt that role was able to redeem <laughs> what happened in this episode.
2: Yeah, that yeah. wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so uh, as uh, as we begin this episode, the uh, the Enterprise is in pursuit of this ship.
1: Yeah, because um, the Ferengi's have stolen a MacGuffin, and so now yes. we're chasing them into unexplored Sylvania.
0: Right, and and just you know, to as a recollection, the the Federation had, the Ferengi were unknown to the Federation; they'd ne- they'd never met them, as far as they knew. Although it turns out later on that Picard did meet them in the Stargazer, uh, but they only know them through rumor, and they're supposed to be at the same level of technology as the Federation. So that's you know the the basis. And they end, they end up in this solar system. And, uh, and
1: if you don't know anything about them, how do you know they're at the same level of technology as you?
0: Right. Right. Exactly. Well, I guess the rumors say they're at the same level.
2: Well, and, and they, they did say that there were had been encounters with Ferengi, but that there weren't anything that was like a major, um, you know, trade, trade or anything with them. It's just they had run into them one way or the other.
1: So since this is a first season episode it has all that first season awkwardness and yes. stilted dialogue and wow mm-hmm. is it uncomfortable to watch.
0: And, yeah. and it's interesting to watch how like especially having as as we t- discussed this we've just finished you know the first season of Picard where the characters are fully developed. And seeing how undeveloped the personalities of these characters are Picard is sort of unsure. It, 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 I don't think Patrick Stewart is comfortable in the role of Picard yet. Uh, Brent well, Spiner's still trying to figure out data. It's very yeah, different.
2: Yeah, because, I mean, eventually Picard develops into this great diplomat and everything. Yeah. And this, he's like, I don't know how I should handle this. What should I do, you know? <laughs>
0: right. St- staff meeting. <laughs> in, in, in,
1: in particular, the, um, the diplomat thing is notably absent from this episode, because At one point, and this is later on in the episode, the Ferengi are saying, well, we clearly own the MacGuffin because you put it on one of our planets. And instead of saying, aha, border dispute, you know, diplomatic resolution opportunity, let's talk about this. Picard is totally dismissive, and it's like, oh, every civilized people knows that that's our planet. And (laughs) it's like, okay, that's not the most diplomatic response,
2: Mr. Super Diplomat. Right, right. Which uh, to be fair, he gets called on right away. Are you saying we're not di- we're not civilized?
0: Yeah, exactly. So he he really puts his foot in it. So so the way the premise let's set the premise is that they they end up in the solar system. Both ships are disabled. Uh, they they the the Ferengi ship stops, fires on Enterprise. And the Enterprise I, systems go down too.
1: I I I I love it how the Ferengi ship has clearly entered orbit around a planet. And then I think it's I think it's uh, maybe Tasha announces they're slowing too, and it's like they're stationary in front of a planet. We just saw that they've already <laughs> slowed. They're not <laughs> slowing. Yeah. And and then the Enterprise it has a brownout.
0: Yes. Uh. And and then uh, everyone gives their their input and Troy says she can't sense anything because this is basically Troy's function at this period in in uh, next generation is to sense things. But she can't sense anything, which means says may mean they can shed shield their thoughts and emotions. Well, it turns out later on that the Fringi do not shield thoughts and emotions, as no. we'll see in later episodes uh, from uh, when Luxwana Troy shows up uh, among the Fringi. But uh, Data has this this weird interlude where he likens them to Yankee traders of yore, a 18th and 19th century unscrupulous merchants and smugglers who ranged the American coast from my hometown of Boston, and were known to be particularly shrewd and independent. Uh, Data says that they're the worst kind of capitalists. Uh, and then, <laughs> okay, but then it gets really weird, weird where he says, well, sir, I doubt they wear red, white, and blue or look anything like Uncle Sam. And then Wharf doesn't recognize Uncle Sam. Tasha doesn't understand what, the reference to primary colors. And Picard goes on about how the U.S. uses red, white, and blue while more properly, France uses blue, white, and red. And I'm like, what in the world does anything have to do with the fact well, that your ship is all, dying? They, yeah.
2: they should know, they should know the idea of having a organizational flag. After yeah. all, the Federation has, has one. The Klingons have one. The Romulans have one. I yeah. mean, they should it's already just, know this concept even if it's not, you know, stars and bars like we use. Just
1: really weird. Also, it's interesting to see what their priorities in terms of critical systems during a brownout are. Yeah. It apparently includes room lighting. <laughs> because the lights don't dim at all and we yep. see the ships from the outside and wow those ships have full-on room lighting going on inside the windows
2: <laughs> well you know that 20 that 24th century led lighting is really efficient yeah, yeah i guess but
1: so. the uh not on their list of critical systems you must reserve power for is the internal phone system because when <laughs> picard tries to call engineering he can't reach it
0: right it is down so he has to send a. Uh, the helmsman to engineering to fix things because jordy yeah we we don't actually have a chief engineer at this point apparently and uh jordy will eventually get the job uh, so they go to engineering they come up with a plan to
1: jump to warp jump to warp nine in 0.3 milliseconds
0: they're going to put it in reverse very slowly and then jump <laughs> forward they're going to jump start the enterprise basically
2: well, well of course Th- those of us who those of us who live in northern climes, we know this procedure. It's yep. called rocking your car when you get stuck in a snowbank.
0: It's exactly what they're doing. They're rocking the car, and so you they're going overwhelm the field. You pull back, you
2: floor it forward, and you pull back, and you floor it forward, and eventually you come out, or you wreck your transmission, one of the two. Yeah.
0: And then we have more of this weird stilted dialogue where Jordy gives us a wooey, <laughs> yeah, and Riker yells, give me everything you got, Jordy, as he's walking out. And it's like, oh, my gosh, this is so awkward. It's so weird. Like uh, uh, they, they they get better at writing these guys as we go on, but gosh. Um, when they try it, though, it doesn't work, and Picard drops a French scatological curse word on network TV, te- well, not, not network TV, but but cable TV, like basic cable. It was <laughs> kind of surprising. Yeah, I, I was
2: wondering if that was the word he said. I wasn't quite sure, oh, yeah. but I was wondering if that was the word he said. Oh, it's the French word for manure.
0: Yes, he, he drops that right on. Which which Picard- makes
2: me wonder how it was translated in France
0: <laughs> when they put the show. Well, in France, that I, I I gather they don't have a problem with some of the basic That's true. curse words That's on true. TV. But uh, yeah, Picard doesn't and uh, wave the French flag uh, so to speak very often in the the rest of the series. But they were really playing it up early here. Um,
1: then yeah. someone starts reading I- the also whole- also yeah. at, at they only now minutes into this crisis think to open hailing frequencies and actually talk to the Ferengi.
0: Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. All this time, but also, they just assume it's all the Ferengi, until until it's Troy who tells them to check the planet. But, but mm-hmm. Has anyone decided yeah. to see what's going on on the planet?
2: All people, it's like, hey, uh, are we going to look below us? We've got this big thing called a planet below us. We might want to <laughs> make sure there's not somebody down there causing this problem. Right. Which, and then spoiler, it in was. In the
0: midst amidst of this whole calamity, Picardio's Staff meeting in the conference room, and everybody on the bridge, all the senior officers leave the bridge to go stand in the uh, room outside. Like, why can't you do this in the bridge? Like, why do you have to all go to the conference room?
2: Because we built the conference room set. (laughs) Yes. And they have to show off that holographic display that they don't ever use again. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Really, it's, I mean, if this were normal, if this were a normal time, you could leave, you know, a watch officer on the bridge and everybody wouldn't be needed. But this is not a normal time. This is a crisis, Crisis. so everyone is needed on the bridge. (laughs) Also, they they think it's the Ferengi at first, but someone has just hacked the Enterprise's computers and is downloading all their stuff. And then Picard, at the end of the conference room briefing, pulls out the suicide option really early in the episode of if we can't deal with this, we're going to have to blow ourselves up. (laughs) And... (laughs) It's like, guy, this is a little early. This is still the first act. We're not at suicide point yet. Yeah, it's <laughs>
0: a little too quick. And
1: then he goes on to avoid suicide. He, he goes on and, and gets on the telephone with them and, and starts offering surrender terms.
0: Right. To them.
1: Yeah. And and, and as opposed to, let's talk about this. You've got and, our and Majuffin, by the way, this... We want it back. What can we arrange? You're traitors, I understand.
2: Maybe we can right. work out a deal. And this is before they do things like checking out the planet. This is before they do things like launch the probe, which eventually does show that, oh, this is coming from the planet. It's not actually the Ferengi. Right. This is way early. Yeah. But it so
1: happens that he's phrased himself ambiguously enough The think the Ferengi think he's asking for them to offer surrender terms. And they're in the same. It turns out they're in the same situation. And so they were both on the verge of mutually surrendering to each other.
0: I got to I got to say that Damon Tar at this point sounds like Grover from Sesame Street. <laughs> like if, you, if, you, <laughs> if you rewatch that scene or if you watch the scene, it he it, it, like the the Frankie voices in this are are very weird. And uh, we also get this very giant head version on the screen for some reason when the Frankie Frankie's on the screen they it's not like him standing on a bridge. He's standing in front of this white wall. White lit thing and it's just giant head
2: and then they they state the blatant obvious they're using some kind of image manipulation for the view screen
0: (laughs) right so uh this is when we get the second staff meeting with just actually
1: actually, i don't know that i mind the weird framing of him on the view screen because he it is they are another species and he they establish visual communication is not our custom so you wouldn't expect them to have the same standards of cropping that humans do
2: that's true. Well, and it—it, it, I mean, w- again, with that line about how they're using the, the the image manipulation, it's clear that they're trying to do it to intimidate.
0: Yeah, that's possible, too. Look yeah.
2: at how in- big and intimidating we are.
0: <laughs> so, although they have no idea how big the Enterprise's view screen is, right? I mean, it could be like uh, six inches across. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, just a thought. <laughs> anyway, there's uh, another staff meeting with uh, just this time with Picard and Geordi uh, and Data, I think. And uh, the but oh, and Riker, because. They as they go to the sta- the conference room, there for some reason there are a couple of boys playing in there, and Riker has to shoot them out. Just random, like, yeah.
1: How did the they bo- get in there without going through the
2: bridge?
0: Yeah, I mean maybe there's a way to get to the the staff room well, without going on the bridge. There
2: it, there, there are two ways into the conference room. One of them comes directly from the bridge. The other is from other from a, corridors from a behind the bridge.
0: Okay, but in the- any case, like that, you'd think that that level, that top level of the ship, would be restricted
2: maybe yeah <laughs> well they and they, but, you know they just threw that in for two reasons first of all to show again picard's uncomfortable around children yeah and then secondly so data could have his little toy
0: well i i figured later on that must have been what it was yeah. because they get the toy in there they uh, which
2: then after they shoo the boys
1: out there's a chinese finger puzzle that data gets his fingers trapped in
0: which i have to say that was amusing that that whole thing about data oh, yeah. getting trapped in the puzzle while he's trying to give a briefing was was amusing. I I, 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 I
2: hate to say it, but Brent Spiner was the best actor in this entire episode. <laughs> yeah. He really was. He played Data very well, especially with you know Data's early awkwardness and purposely yep. designed that way. Yeah. I I think he was the best character of the whole bunch.
1: To yeah. quote the Emperor Cartagia, humor is so subjective. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think it was funny, and in particular, watching Data struggle with the Chinese finger puzzle. When Picard orders him to get out of it, this guy could just rip it in half. Yes, you know, yeah. and, and he's super. He's super strong. So that it it shouldn't. It went on for. I thought it went on for too long and it wasn't actually funny. Okay. By the way, by this point, they've sent out a probe now to find the source of the problem, mm-hmm. and also I like how the Ferengi initially offer to return the MacGuffin and take the lives of two of their second officers.
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and Data remarks, uh it's a good thing we don't have the same custom uh here on uh, in the Eastern yeah. Starfleet. Uh, so Data explains that this is uh part of the Takan Empire, this planet, uh which was part uh six hundred thousand existed six hundred thousand years ago. They were capable of moving stars, which is something we've heard
1: about recently. <laughs> <laughs> They're capable of moving stars, yeah. but they were wiped out when their central sun went supernova. There is so much wrong with that. If your central sun is about to go supernova, move Move that star.
2: And how does one star going to supernova kill an empire? Right. Hot hot take. This entire episode was uh, the inspiration of both, you know, the 2009 Star Trek movie and Picard series.
0: Well, well moving I was stars in Sun going move, supernova. Yeah, moving stars, the admonition system from Cedric Picard. Maybe. Yeah. This,
2: this, anyway, this, this uh, is the entire uh, inspiration of all of it.
0: Yeah. Maybe the Tacon Empire was the one from Picard. Maybe that's was uh, was that. <laughs> so anyway, they, he concludes that this planet may be their last outpost, uh, therefore the, we, the have there, so. we have a title. We have a title. So uh there's a force field emanating from the surface, and so the Picard arranges the with the Ferengi to Beam down together to figure it out. Uh, the away team beams down, but everyone's separated. The, the Riker is separated from the others. Uh, he finds Data. Jordy yep. materialized upside down with his foot caught in a cliff. Uh, luckily, it didn't materialize inside it. And uh, this is
1: apparently just to stretch the runtime of the episode, having everyone beam down in this scrambled state.
0: Yeah, it was very. It was, uh, well, it also helps get Tasha separated from them so she can rescue the men. Um, yep. The Frankie show up in furry vests with energy whips. <laughs> it's very weird. It's very weird. Yeah, and they knocked the three of them out.
1: It, uh, I, I like the concept, and we later see the whips in in again in uh, on Ferenginar in the Marauder Mo toy collection that Quark yes. had as a boy.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: I, I like the idea of the energy whips in one sense, in that it's different than a gun. Yep. But yeah. wow, is this ineffective? yeah Yeah. i mean they look pretty ridiculous actually and then how do you aim these things you know when it's not physical the physical whip that you're using but it sends off this energy bolt right i I think it's kind of
2: more 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 of a range or not a range but an area of effect weapon (laughs) where it it spreads out on like a phaser which is a point weapon
0: yeah i don't know yeah is the idea pretty it's just a bad (laughs) idea but it's an idea i have to give props to uh jonathan frake's who, when he gets stunned, takes a real faceplant into the dirt. Like he goes face down, <laughs> no, no stopping it. His his face hits that dirt pretty good. So, uh, good for him for for, for taking one for the team on that one. Um, so, the way I would describe how the Ferengi act and move, it's like Gollum in the Lord of the Rings movies. Yeah, all crouched down and finger pointy. They're very finger pointy when they talk. <laughs>
1: I have it in my notes as spastic monkey mode, and <laughs> w- monkeys, with lots yeah. of writhing.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yep. Uh, uh, so maybe a little Quasimodo thrown in there.
2: We 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 do see kind of the 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 fingernail attack that you, you'll see you know once in a while the 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 Fringe on uh, DS Nine do where they kind yeah. of hiss and the hiss oh, bring yeah, up yeah, their yeah. nails Qua- like they're going to attack. Yeah. But
0: so their their plan is to say that the Enterprise crew attacked them first, and so uh, the the. the the Starfleet crew fights back, but they're about to lose until Tasha saves the day she shows up, and then the well, Frankie display their misogyny by being disgusted that they work with females and clothe them.
1: yeah, also at this point, we've suddenly over the commercial break moved six hours later, and up <laughs> right. up on the enterprise, yeah. things are getting cold because they don't have the power for um for life support, but they are preserving the crucial room lighting. So, you know, <laughs> yes. at least they can see, see their own deaths. Right. But it's like, it's six hours later and they haven't sent down a shuttle craft or done anything. Right. Also on the planet, which has lots of thunder and lightning that hurts the Ferengi ears. And then, yes, Dom, you're right. The, uh, the, the Fer- Ferengi somehow are able to identify a clothed female human and distinguish it from men, even though it's. It's even a clothed Billy. female human with a short haircut, so I'm not <laughs> sure exactly how they're they're so quick to identify one. But yeah, they they accuse us of of working with women and arming them and forcing them to wear clothing. Yes, and so this is just Gene Roddenberry's personal stuff coming through again.
2: <laughs> That's right. Well, there's there's also a weird line when they're up on the ship uh, where Picard's talking to Crusher and she goes, "Well, I wanted to I wanted to tranquilize Wesley." And yep. Garth said, well, good, because he should be able to see his own death. You know, a man should be able to see his own death or be awake for his own death.
0: Well, yeah, he says he has the right to meet death awake. And she oh, says but, yeah. scornfully, is that a male perspective? And he replies, <laughs> rubbish. That's a weird exchange. What's the
1: andro androsogyny here? <laughs> it's, yeah.
0: yeah, it's very it was a very odd exchange.
1: Also notice that even though they're freezing to death, neither one of their breath's vapor is condensing.
0: Well, also yep. this. There's another here. They're they're obviously on, in a room that's on the outside of the ship, right? You see the windows outside. Mm-hmm. Go to the middle. The the outside the part that gets cold first. <laughs> heat more in the middle.
2: Anyway, I, I was gonna say even maybe get them down by the engines where there probably is gonna be some residual heat.
0: <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh. So when the uh now the weight teams they start shooting at each other again, and this time. Their blasts are redirected away from them into the giant crystals all around them, yeah. and a giant glowing head called Portal sixty three appears and then resolves itself.
1: It's into the Wizard a, of Oz.
0: Yeah, well, yeah. He, it asks who meets the challenge and uh, who's petitioning to enter the Empire, and he it takes the form of a biped on a bridge and asks them the airspeed velocity of a sparrow, to which they respond African or European.
1: <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> Actually, I have in my notes Gandalf the Beardless appears. <laughs>
0: That's yeah. right. right. You shall not pass. Uh, so it's yeah, it's a standard uh, guardian with a stick uh, approach. And uh, Data tries to convince the portal that the Takan Empire fell ages ago. And the Ferengi jump in and accuse the Enterprise of attacking them and trying to loot the Empire. You know, so they're shiftless and untrustworthy. Uh, enemy. Yeah, there's
1: there's a bit of logic here that actually approaches the clever. When the uh when Gandalf slash the Wizard of Oz wants to know who, who challenges, Riker accepts the challenge and he then lets himself get attacked and does not fight back. And then right. the portal quotes a line from Sun Tzu that we heard earlier in the episode about like the one who will live to fight another day is the one who knows when not to fight. And so right. clearly the portal has been despite the fact he seems astonishingly ignorant of many things about human culture was boning up on Sun Tzu when he hacked the enterprise computers.
0: (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Yeah, They, they, Dana and Riker admit to the claim from the Frankie that they've withheld technology from some worlds and allowed some civilizations to fall in the strong and violent to overcome the weak, i.e. the prime directive and don't defend Mm -hmm. themselves against this. And then, uh, Riker's challenge is apparently uh, about quoting Sun Tzu and uh, this intrigues the portal who, who wants to hear more and releases the Enterprise, offers to destroy the Ferengi, but Riker uh, graciously allows them to live. And uh, on the Enterprise, if, as everyone wakes up, Crusher, Crusher calls Picard Jean, by the way, which I think is the only time he's ever actually called Jean in the whole series. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he, he's, he is Jean-Luc from this point on. Um and then, uh, yeah, P- Riker asked the portal uh, to spare. I wish they had the portal from the 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 video game portal, which would have been a lot more interesting uh, if you're familiar with it. <laughs> the, the crazy, the crazy AI in that. But anyway, um, he, they spare the Frankie so they can learn from the experience. Uh, meanwhile, the Frankie are hopping around like spastic monkeys again. We
1: gave those words to this human.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. So they're like the evil monkeys from Wizard of Oz. Anyway. <laughs> Riker uh, on their way out. Riker beams over some Chinese finger puzzles as a as a gift for the Ferengi. Ha ha, uh, lame get uh, a mm. lame ending joke. We have to end on a joke. So, uh, so <laughs> any last notes about this episode from from either of you,
2: uh,
1: Jimmy? Other than I, it was I've, painful to watch, <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: I find it disturbing how the portal, like uh, based on Riker standing still, is now all of a sudden Riker's best bud. <laughs> yeah. and is is casually talking about and he appears to have no knowledge of the federation despite the fact he hacked their computers and learned about sun tzu right mm-hmm. i mean either he learned about it from the computers or he's telepathic in which case he should know they're trustworthy up front
2: so there's just logic problems connected with the portal the only the only logic i can with that that whole issue with the the uh, uh the phrase from sun tzu is that it's supposedly a universal for all cultures at all times Type of thing.
1: Well, then it's still bad writing because it's an amazing Yo, coincidence writing, that it became but... relevant. Yeah. Uh, without without any kind of causal connection in this episode. Also, the portal saying, "Should I destroy them?" You know about the Ferengi and Riker. Oh, then they would learn nothing. It it's just so smug and preachy. Yeah. And then at the end, the portal goes back to sleep. But the thing this episode is really known for is the utter fail of the Ferengi on every level. They were just—they yeah. were supposed to be the new superior warrior race that we're going to have to deal with. They came across as totally unintimidating and laughably so. Mm-hmm. Gene Roddenberry also thought they were supposed to be like super sexy, and wow, are they not? <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, just, just an utter disaster. It's, it's, it's a tribute to. D- and I, I also hate all of the rest of the TNG Ferengi episodes. Just all of them. They're universally right, yeah. bad. It's not until we get to Deep Space Nine when they actually get redeemed, and it's a tribute to the creators of Deep Space Nine that they were able to take this wreck of a concept and mm-hmm. breathe life into it and give it meaning and give us enjoyable Ferengi stories.
2: Right. That's right. true. I agree. You know, there's there's one point in this episode where they kind of hint at, you know, being the new, the new warrior race where they were... Picard is trying to offer surrender, and the Fringe thinks that he's asking for their surrender, and they say something to the extent of, "It would it would be a great dishonor for us to surrender," right? And that's literally the only point where they make them sound like they're these great warriors with some right. sense of code of honor,
0: totally lifted from the Klingon.
1: And, and they 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 there's an inherent conflict between the this is the new warrior threat race, and they're a bunch of traitors, right? It's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. People who do trade are not interested in destroying the people they want to trade with. (laughs) I mean, okay, sure, you may have some imperialism or something going on, but but they're not just they're not just killing machines. They want to make a deal that should that. And that's totally unexplored in this episode.
0: Yeah, I mean, we totally—they totally, totally drop the whole Yankee Trader thing after this. We never see them as roving, independent—you know—smugglers or merchantmen. I mean, they're still capitalists, but but they, mm-hmm. we, we lose that that idea of them as sort of romantic trade—you know—traders plying the, the 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 spaceways.
1: And it, uh, it's not until they stop treating them as they do in Next Gen that whenever they show up, they're a threat. Mm-hmm. I mean, whenever they're right. driving the plot. When they stop treating them as a threat and start treating them as businessmen, that's when they get interesting. Yes.
2: Exactly. Totally.
0: Yep. All right. Uh, Father Corey, any any last notes on this? Nope. Okay. So uh, let's uh, take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create Secrets of Star Trek, including CM, Elaine K., Jesse K., Megan F., and Patrick W. Their generous donations at com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest, you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to t- thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What do you think of the last outpost in the and TNG? Do, do you have a better opinion of it uh, than we did? Uh, let us know. We, you can comment on the show at sqpn.com slash trek, or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Media, or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time. We have a special episode, our 100th episode, and we're going to be discussing a book, the recent book called Picard, Last Best Hope. It came out as a prequel to the recent first season of Star Trek Picard, and uh, we we thought it was worth having a discussion on just the book. So uh, if you haven't read it, uh, we'll we'll have a link in the show notes and uh, maybe get a chance to to pick it up. It doesn't take too long to read. Uh, If you have read it, I hope you'll enjoy this discussion. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me in sharing The Secrets of Star Trek. Yeah, thanks, Dom. Jimmy Akin, thank you as well.
1: Thanks, Dom, and live long and prosper.
0: And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, your alien images again shock us.